Good morning, church. What a, what a unique time that we get to be here. If you're visiting with us, uh, welcome to Parkway. I'm glad that you're here today. Uh, and what the Lord has for us is good. Um, as we're kind of walking through this weekend and everything going on, today we're finishing our our study in Revelation as we prepare for Christmas next week. And if you're a Christmas music lover, get ready. Um, it's now social, socially appropriate to come out and be, let yourself be known. Thanksgiving's over. Um, but I started wondering, like, God, do we need to talk about something else in the sermon today? And where we are, it really fits um, what's going on. Re Revelation, the book of Revelation is not... It's not just really meant to be some cipher that you and I try to figure out because we're smart enough to corner God in a box. Amen? Right? Anyone who tells you that they've got the, the you know, the clue sheet, the legend of that puzzle, um, you can just smile at them and nod. In the South, in Alabama, we would smile at you and nod, and then we'd talk about you behind our back. But since we're in Texas, we don't do that. But Revelation 13 is where we're going to be today. We talked about it last week, how we're going to come back to it this week. Um, and the plan all the time was to end with talking about family. That was kind of my, my anchor. That's normally I would try to go in order through uh, because we need one piece to go to the next. But in this case, I um, just didn't desire that. And now I think the Lord may have put that there without me knowing because he's sovereign. Um, and so today, what we're really talking about in this uh, idea of Revelation 13 is that we, we've been looking at how God's promise will break um, sin's pattern. But today, what I pinned down at the beginning uh, of my note prep was um, difficulty, deception, and Deuteronomy. Because that's really where the Lord led me as I walked through uh, that So we'll be in Revelation 13, and we'll also jump at the end of the service to Deuteronomy 6, okay? So if you have—if uh, you're uber spiritual and you have more than one of these in your Bible, you can put one in Revelation and the other somewhere else. We don't do as many church bulletins anymore to see who's been to church the most in the last few weeks. Uh, but I want to set up the Scripture for you. No long intro today, because chapter 12 we didn't read, and it's kind of important— <clears throat> But only for the end of it. If you have your Bible, look back just a couple of verses to Revelation chapter 12. What I'd like you to do is look in verse 17 with me, right? It says, And then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring on those who, who keep the commandments of God and hold the testimony of Jesus. He stood on the sand of the sea. Um, now, that's, that's a potent verse, and so let me just wrap in chapter 12 of Revelation for you as we start walking through this uh, today. In Revelation, we are introduced to uh, the, the dragon in, in the book of Revelation, and the dragon is um, Satan. He is the great accuser. If you look through the words of that, his role is to accuse God's people. It, it, and it's so interesting that that's his first priority, to accuse you. Now, now this is really interesting um, because we live in a world where accusations from a liar are still, we still there, believe there could be a partial truth behind it. Have you ever, have you ever noticed that? Like some, there could be no credibility to the story. The person has no credibility at all. And
and yet their accusation still has some kind of stickiness to it that somehow seems like it's brought out when it fits my narrative. Are you following me? Am I the only person that sees that in our world today? Like, I know such and such is a liar. I know their integrity is no good. I know this is not right. And so anything they say about me, I completely dismiss. But anything they say about you, I mostly dismiss. Are you with me? This is why it's the first tactic of the enemy. The enemy is here to try to plant seeds in the hearts and minds, first of all, of God and his people or of God about his people. Like that's the whole point. Division. The whole point is to tear down what God has built up. If we are God's workmanship creating Christ Jesus for good things, if we are his building, if we are his church, if we are his bride, the enemy's accusations are meant to do one thing, to make you and you go separate ways. And if you can feel that on earth, then maybe you'll stop thinking about the joy of eternity. And so it's amazing how in grief, it's amazing how in hurt, like there's something inside of us that wants to do just what? just step back and sometimes that's even stepping back from the Lord in in Revelation 12 the accuser has to go from his primary tactic to his secondary tactic and I want you to know we are getting the enemy's second best because his first best his first plan is to accuse you and me before God and the Lord says, they are washed in the blood of the Lamb. They are clean. There's nothing for you to accuse them of because they are not perfect in themselves and dependent on their own. They are perfect in my Son. And so in Revelation chapter 12, this infuriates the enemy. That's why you speak the name of Jesus. It just irritates the enemy because his his name is accuser and when he can't rally the troops he realizes he's already defeated and so he goes on to his secondary tactic right have you ever seen a child throw a fit <laughs> have you ever seen an adult throw a fit we won't do this again. <laughs> Have you ever seen someone go all in, child or adult, I won't pick on children, and somewhere along their thinking, they realize they're in the wrong? Have you ever seen that happen? When that starts to occur, if humility is not what comes out, what happens? War, destruction. I may be in the wrong, but I'm not going to admit it. And so I'm going to tear this place down as I walk out. Amen? I mean, you know what I'm saying? That We can see that in workplaces right now. I mean, I, <laughs> Congress right now? Like, I know I did something wrong, but I'm not going to address that. I'm, not gonna, I'm just, I'm going to tear everything else out I can on the way out just to show you how broken you all are as well. Revelation 
chapter 12. The enemy realizes that his name, accuser, is worthless. So he tries to create a new name for himself. Now let's read Revelation 12, 17 in that context. The dragon became furious. Now we know why. With the woman and went off to do what? To make war on her offspring. If I can't make you miserable, I'm going to make your kids miserable. Who are her offspring? Those who keep the commandments of God. Those who won't join in my tissy fit with me. Those who hold to the testimony of Jesus. And then it says he stood on the sand of the sea. It's almost like that fuming, that fury is fuming. And he's just looking. I just, I hate it all. So I just want to tear it down. If there's a way to tear it down, I want to tear it down. Now here's the joy. Verse chapter 13 is given to us. And I want to read it, and we're going to read through it all in, in two chunks. And I'm going to tell you why that picture isn't scary. Chapter 13, verse 1. Let's read through verse 10 together. The Bible says this. Remember the dragon standing on the shore of the sea about to make war with the people of God. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea. In other words, at the feet of the dragon. With ten hordes and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And the dragon gave the power of his throne and the great authority. And one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. The whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And they worshipped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they, wor the, they worshipped the beast, saying, Who's like the beast? Who can fight against it? Verse 5, And the beast was given a mouth, uttering prideful, haughty, prideful, and blasphemous. That means against God and his people. Blasphemous words. In other words, it's inciting division, riot, hatred. It's trying to tear down what God called beautiful. Utter blasphemies. It allowed it to exercise its authority for 42 months. Verse 6, and it opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming the name, blaspheming his dwelling, that, though, that is, those who dwell in heaven. And it was also allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. All, and authority was given to it over every tribe and people and language and nation. And all who dwell on the earth will worship it. Everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, um, captive to captivity, who goes? If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword he must be slain. Here's the call for endurance for the faith of the saints. Now you may be saying, Pastor, I have no idea why that's encouraging to you. I think a lot of times what we're wired to do is focus on what's broken. Have you ever been there? I mean, 
Ashley and Connor now. Ashley, if you're not familiar with our family, uh, is about to finish the book part of college. She'll graduate in May and get married in June. Connor is uh, at school, a freshman in college. And, and I will tell you, there's a moment when, when they're a certain age, you're wondering, are they developing right? Are they not developing right? You're kind of scared. Are they going to go this way? Are they going to be that way? Or, oh, you see a trait popping up in you that is popping up in them and you know where it led you and you don't want it to be broken parents have you ever been there with me like like all the time you're just wondering you're afraid something might be wrong and so you're kind of starting to look for it and even when a teacher might be right we don't like them as much and so we stand in the wrong protecting something more important about our children that we're afraid could be real are you with me I just think that we are wired to look for what's broken and not even fix it. I think just to put our hands around it. I think it becomes controlling. I mean, don't try this at home. Write your spouse a list of a hundred things you love about them and write two that really get on your nerves. Do you think they're going to say, wow, 98%, that's higher than any grade I ever got in high school. I'm killing marriage. I love you. Thanks for blessing my life. Is that, is that what's going to happen? Ladies, is that going to happen? Right? Should your husband try that at home today? No, that should be verbal. <laughs> right? Because we cling to what is broken. We look for that brokenness. I think sometimes that's when in grief and pain and loss, it's that brokenness that, that's hard to, like, it's just so comfortable. That's why when relationships are tearing apart, it, it's hard to think of what is good because this broken thing here, even though the world is different, this one, I can't give, we're kind of in sin. We're fixated by brokenness, and it starts to rewire who we are. So let me help you with this. I want you to look at chapter 13, verse 1, through the first part of verse 10. And I don't want you to forget it because it's the Word of God. But I want you to know it is not the focus of those 10 verses. The focus is the last part of verse 10. Let me read it to you. Here is the call for endurance and faith of the saints. That's the focus. I honestly do not care what the leopard means. I'm pretty sure the Lord will reveal it to me if and when I'm alive when that time comes. What the Lord wants you and I to know is this, that first of all, here is the call, means this is a challenge to you. This is a challenge, church. If your name is written in the book of life, this is my challenge to you. The college football was all over the place this weekend. God bless my Aggies. But this is the halftime speech. You're halfway through. You're not to the end of the game yet. Here's the call. And literally, the call is this. Stand strong. That's what steadfast means. 
Stand strong. And let your standing be trusting me. Here is the call for endurance and the faith of the saints. Here's what Christ, I mean, at halftime saying, the game's already won. It's already been, the victory is there. So, so don't get defeated, don't give up, don't believe what's being spouted. The wind hasn't stopped blowing, the other team's gonna come out and they're gonna think they can win, they're gonna hit you hard. They're gonna curse at you across the line because they've been deceived in their fury. But I'm telling you, you go out there, you put your feet on the rock that is Christ and no weapon formed against you will prosper. Stand firm. To the men, it's literally scriptural. Stand firm, act like men. He didn't say the beasts and the world's gonna stop making war on you because they're gonna realize they're, they've lost. The winds are gonna blow. The difficulties of life are going to happen. There are going to be seasons of hurt. Read verse chapter 13. There are going to be seasons of hurt in your life. That's all true. But the message of those 10 verses is this. I have overcome. So you stand firm in me. Don't let your belief in me waver. Don't let your trust in me waver. See, there's a statement that we have to believe in order for this verse to make sense. You have to believe that Christ doesn't call you to a victory that he hasn't already secured. He's not calling you to stand firm and hoping that you can last it. He's not calling you to have faith and may bail out on you later on. You have to believe if Christ calls you to it, he has already secured the victory for you. And the only way to lose church is forfeit. That's it. That's it. It's the only way is you take yourself out and put yourself on the sidelines. That's why scripture speaks all the time of this idea of endurance, of standing firm. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the promise of Jesus, red letters. But no weapon formed against you will have victory. Who cares what the enemy looks like or what the diadems mean and what section of the world they represent? Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith. Plant your feet on the rock, and the winds will blow, I promise. Hurt will come. The enemy will attack. 
but he has already secured the victory. Verse 11, let's keep reading. The Bible says it this way. And then I saw another beast. Excuse me, I'm gonna make my words a little bit bigger. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. One wasn't enough. It had two horns like a lamb. It spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on the earth, telling them they should make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. It also causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he has that mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. Now, since you've already heard the first half of the sermon, listen to verse 16 or verse 18 in this mindset. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast for the number, it is the number of a man the number is 666. We'll talk a little bit about that number. But is it the focus of the passage? No. Verse 18. This calls for wisdom. If you have a King James Bible, if you have a, I think maybe New American does it as well, it says, here is wisdom. Let the one who has understanding. The word wisdom is here is the word Sophia. When you see it in the New Testament, almost always it's applied a couple of ways. One, to Jesus. When it's applied about Jesus, people are saying, where in the world is this type of wisdom coming from? His wisdom is different. His wisdom isn't X's and O's. It's a whole nother, it's like chess. Like the wisdom that, that Christ has, it blows mind. The word amazed, the word marveled is often used about this word of Christ when it's used. When it's used in other contexts, it's often pointed to something when used by Jesus. In other words, what, what we're finding here is that wisdom is a gift. It's not a quality you're born with. It doesn't matter if you're a mechanic, if you're working in an auto dealership, the pastor, president. Your DNA, how bright you think you are or how bright you think you aren't, has zero to do with this. Because this Sophia is a gift. And it's not based on who you are. It's based on who he is. In other words, if we have the wisdom of God, then we have a command then to understand. That's what the passage, let the one who has understanding comes after wisdom. Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 2, 16 this way, for who has understood the mind of the Lord as to instruct him? 
The answer is nobody. But then Paul writes immediately, but we have the mind of Christ. You and I have been given this gift of wisdom so that we can see through his eyes. That's why we take every thought captive before him so that his wisdom is the filter through everything. Gosh, have you, I'm a filter person, right? Some of you are like me, like you need a filter on because if it comes off, it's a bad day, amen? But some of you filter through emotions. I'm an emotional filter. If it feels that, I'm going with it. Some people have this logical filter they put on. If it makes sense, I'm following through with it. Some of you have this, this just, uh, just different, I don't know what other filters exist. Those are my two, right? But you're following me? Like you have this mother-father filter. But scripture says those filters are all broken. Sophia is the filter through which understanding should come in your life. Not what your mama told you, not what your friend told you, not with what eight people comforted you in, but the Sophia that comes from God. That's the wisdom then that leads you to understanding. And although it is a gift, it must also be put on. Listen to Ephesians verse six, chapter six, verse 10 through 14. And this is key. This is what it says. Finally, be strong in the Lord in the strength of his might. So put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we don't wrestle with flesh and blood against rulers and authorities, cosmic powers over the present darkness, against the spiritual forces, heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all to stand firm. You see, the only way that you and I are going to stand firm in our belief in Jesus is if you allow the Sophia that is the gift from God to be in your heads, placed it on your heart, on your soul, on your mind. Even when every fiber of your being is telling you to believe something else. And I am telling you, there will be moments where every fiber of your being is telling you something else. And the Sophia of God will say, don't you move. Don't you do it. Here is wisdom. So let the one who has understanding see. What do I see? when I read this passage. Well, let's get to what the whole world is captivated by. Verse 18. Understand calculating the number of the beast, for it's the number of a man, and his number is 666. There's a lot of ways to attack this passage. There's a man named Irenaeus, Irenaeus, if you want to say it differently. He didn't know it. Why does that matter? Irenaeus was the disciple of Polycarp, who was discipled by John. John wrote Revelation. If he had a clue, do you think he would tell it to his disciples? If you knew what the meanest, baddest bully in the school looked like, and your son or daughter was going to be walking to the school without you, would you want them to know who it was? So, so Polycarp is either not the Christian saint that we think, and chose not to pass it down to his disciple. Or maybe there's something deeper 
because Irenaeus said, I don't know what it is. I don't know who it could be. It could be this dude. It could be that dude. It could be all over here. So what if we take that out and we just say, God, for here today, what wisdom do I need for this? 666. In seven days, we see God completing creation. We see a God at rest, delighting, receiving the worship of creation. It's, it's the work without the reward if you take the seventh day out. Seven throughout scripture is completion. So if the number was 777, I would say it's complete, complete, complete. It is good, it is good, it is very good. It is holy, it is holy, it is holy. But when I read chapter 13, and I see the number 666, I see you have failed, you have failed, you have failed. I think of the word and the prophecy of Daniel. You have been weighed, you have been measured, and you have been found wanting. You have lost, you have lost, you have lost, you have wasted, you have wasted, you have wasted. No matter how hard you try, you cannot imitate the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Look at all the imitation words. Verse 3, chapter 13. One of its head seemed to have a mortal wound. Look further in verse 11. It had two horns like a lamb, but it makes inhabitants worship. It performs great signs. It was wounded by the sword, verse 14, and yet lived. It was allowed to seemingly it gave breath to an image, brings something to life. The deception here is that the enemy is doing his best impersonation of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The problem is his impersonation never ends in peace. It never ends in rest. It may end in a moment of relief, but it's never complete. Do you want to know how to look for the work of the enemy in your life? Where is he leading you? That anger and bitterness that, that want to hold up, I love holidays, but golly, the stories of how many broken families are forced to tolerate one another. If your heart is leading you to a place that you're holding on to something that lacks peace, don't follow failure, failure, failure. Here is the wisdom of God. Put it on. See it for what it is so that you can stand firm in the strength of God on the attributes of who he is. And in the day of the evil one, you won't be failure, a failure, a failure. You'll conquer. Where this ended with me was a call for family. If you look at verse 16, I think it's in there on purpose this way. 
Also it causes all, both great and small, rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or on the forehead, so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark and the name of the beast and the number of its name. Listen to Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. Verse 7. And you will teach them diligently to your children. You will talk of them as you sit in your house, when you rise by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. Verse 8. Here it is. And you will bind them as a sign on your head. And they shall be as frontlets on your eyes and you'll write them on the doorposts of your house and of your gates this mark the world is terrified is this it's an imitation that will fall short that will lead to destruction on the inside and the outside because the enemy has said I know the plans of God. And he has called it for those who are older, parents, grandparents, to teach their children and younger generations the truth of Jesus Christ and to show them through the wisdom of God what is holy, holy, holy. And if my child from four and my child groised in this group of people and in churches in this state has had people in their lives from the time they were too little to speak or comprehend to this moment we're in today. They have had people telling them why the actions that they take why they need to be holy, holy, holy. Why the thoughts that they have need to reflect the wisdom of God. So that in the day of the evil one, they could stand. See, the enemy is hoping in his busyness and your busyness to say, I don't have enough time to put that here. Life's too busy to put it there. So that you'll say, good. You put my failure teaching right here. So you start filtering those conversations through past hurt. You start filtering those decisions through desires that someone hasn't met. You start filtering those decisions through the brokenness and your own worthlessness. You start filtering it right here. When you do that, it may not be the moment of revelation, but let me tell you what we bind to our head. Failure, failure, failure. And that is the mark of the enemy of the King of Kings when we remove the teaching of God from the actions of our hands and say, but God will forgive me later on. 
but God, you know I should do this, but I would rather do this. And instead, we put our drive here, the accumulation of wealth here, what protects me here. It may not be the mark of the beast specifically that will come in the final battle. But his sign will still be written on your actions. So here is Sophia. Bind the word of God to your thoughts so that when all of your friends and everything in your being calls you to speak the name of Jesus but have the mark of somebody else here and here you can stand firm let me tell you as we walk into this day grieving for a family and parents we've been there, we are there the hugs I give my children on their way back to college when tragedy strikes they're longer than our normal hugs. In this moment, I want to invite you to put on the Sophia of God. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, our children our babies our teenagers they need you to put on the Sophia of God and help them bind God's word to their fellows to their hands We are a family. Who are you preparing for Jesus on Sunday morning? On Tuesday afternoon? Whose soccer game are you going to on Friday? Who are you cooking dinner for on Tuesday? One day we will all go be with Jesus if our name is written in the book of life. And don't we want the saints who are not experiencing the blessing that we are to be standing strong? So today, as we prepare for the Lord's Supper, Christ came and died for you so that you could have the real truth on your mind and your actions could be strong in him. What is he calling you to this morning? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love you. Lord, as we walk into this moment where the reality is 
there is not a person in this room that doesn't need the ministry of the saints. Lord, our senior adults need the, the caring and the love and the rejuvenation and the stories and the encouragement and the cheering on of the saints who are younger than them. Our younger adults need the wisdom and the Sophia that you have given those older to help them know how to endure the days ahead and to stand firm in our teenagers and our children and our babies. Lord, let them see the church in all its glory. Lord, don't let us grow weary of doing good because we want the harvest. So Lord, I don't care if I ever see failure, failure, failure again. I just want to be complete where you are. In Jesus' name, amen.